for me, getting back out there means sprucing up my date night wardrobe. But I don't necessarily want to have a lot of extra stuff to hang on to. That's why I was happy to find out about Armoire. It's a clothing rental service, and it really takes away the stress about what to wear. For a monthly fee, members get access to high-quality designer clothing for any occasion. Just take a five-minute style quiz to get suggestions, and then pick what you want. The clothes arrive in as little as two days. One of the items I chose is a green v-neck wrap dress that works for both business and pleasure. And here's one thing I really love. Armoire is women-founded and women-led. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash gray. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash gray to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. With the seasons changing and some fun getaways on my calendar, I want to spruce up my warm weather wardrobe. That's why I'm happy I found Quince. Quince offers clothing and accessories for women and also men, even kids and babies. Plus, Quince has housewares like organic duvet covers and shams and so much more. Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. That's because Quince partners directly with top factories. They cut out the middleman and pass the savings on to customers like me and you. Quince works only with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing processes, along with premium fabrics and finishes. What's not to love about that? So get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash gray for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash gray to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash gray. I'm Laura Stasi, and this is Dating While Gray, the grown-up's guide to love, sex, and relationships. Is a search for new romance different for widows and widowers? Today, we're talking about love after loss. When I was ready to start dating again, I thought it would be ideal to meet a widower. In my mind, a widower didn't have that stigma of relationship failure, like a divorced person does. He was back on the market through no fault of his own. So I went online and matched with a widower, the first online date I ever had. But our conversation over drinks and dinner left me thinking he was a little too eager to get from first date to happily ever after. I was renting an apartment. He owned a house with enough space for a blended family. I was looking for a full-time job. He called himself a good provider with a hefty retirement account. I said it might be a while before I could swing a vacation. He was making plans for exotic travel as soon as he could find the right person to treat. It seemed to me this man was looking for someone, anyone, to simply insert into the life he'd already built with his wife, to fill the hole that had been left by her death. Now, I'm not saying all widowed people give off these vibes. And I might have misjudged. Maybe he was nervous too, and so he was overcompensating. But I have been wondering, is there something different about dating after you've lost a partner through death? 
Does the grief and the trauma impact the search for love if you decide to get back out there again? For more on this, I turn to geriatric neuropsychologist Peter Lichtenberg. Peter's insights aren't only on the professional level. When he was in his 20s, Peter married his college sweetheart, Becky. We had three beautiful years, and she died actually suddenly, unexpectedly, while jogging. She had an underlying heart condition we didn't really know about, and she had a cardiac arrhythmia. So not only uh, was there grief, but there was real trauma. Uh, It was very traumatic. Eventually, Peter got remarried, had a child, and got divorced. And then he met Susan, a work colleague. They fell in love, got married, and had two kids. Susan was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she died when she and Peter were in their early 50s. Peter's now remarried to Debbie. And I asked him if there were differences between dating when you're divorced and dating when you're widowed. Yes, definitely. Um, One thing that's different is that when you're widowed, uh, that relationship is continuing with the deceased. And you're trying to find a place in your life that that works for both, (laughs) that you can date and have this relationship. And so that is very different uh, than divorce, where... You know, you're clearly trying to let go for good in a divorce situation as opposed to find the right place to honor your deceased spouse. But I really took my time in dating uh, my wife, Debbie. It was it was great to be with Debbie, but I really wanted that time with at home and trying to understand how to put meaning into Susan's life and loss and so forth. Susan is your, was your, your wife who died when you were in your 50s, yes. correct? Yes. And then how long did you, I guess, wait? Or about how long were you then ready to start dating again after that? Well, I started dating about mm, 11 months after her death. And the first person I dated, it was a bad, bad match. And so... <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, it, just... it really wasn't. And... You know, one of the things you don't realize when you're when you're dating and, and grieving is you're vulnerable still, mm. and so it's not as easy just to say, "Oh, this is a bad match." So that that relationship, that dating relationship, actually lasted several months and was kind of on again, off again. Before I finally, as I started to grow less vulnerable, realized this is really bad for me. I need to be out of this. Yeah. And so how did you meet your current wife? So I met Debbie um, online. I like to tell people, we met in the coffee shop, which we did. (laughs) After you met online. After we met online, yes. Did she have any hesitations about dating somebody who had been widowed or even twice widowed? Most people do. And I met several people online who did have those hesitations. Uh, She looked at it the other way. She's could see what a positive relationship I had with my wife, Susan. And so uh, she thought, here's somebody that knows how to be in a relationship. So she was willing to kind of take that chance. So I'm wondering how, did your your kids have any, uh, I guess, hesitations about you entering into such a serious relationship with someone? Uh, they did. Um, both of my kids have some uh, challenges. Uh, they're very bright 
and uh, very high functioning people, but they're very rigid. So when we got a new, when I got a new couch, for example, my son was absolutely destroyed by it. You know, uh, he just wanted everything to be exactly the same. So that's one of the reasons why I didn't rush into anything. I really wanted them to know Debbie quite well uh, before we got married. Can you give me any, I guess, personal example or an anecdote from your own life that where you thought, okay, this is happening because I've had this, you know, traumatic experience of being widowed? Well, I can tell you as a younger adult, I got remarried because of the trauma, uh, not because of the relationship. And, and I was kind of in a in a fog in a way. I mean, I really expected it just to be the same in some way. And I was also really wanting some kind of normalcy to my life again. Yeah. It's interesting because when you said that, I'm just thinking it's really kind of a dance we do, especially with the case of losing your spouse through death. You don't want to be so wrapped up in your life and who this person was that you don't, you know, give any breathing room to a new relationship. And yet we must let go of our feelings of resentment or anger with any kind of relationship or it's not going to help us as we go forward in life. Yeah, kind of there's this dual theory which talks about kind of restoration activities and relationship kinds of activities. And, um, you know, both are in play for people who are divorced or and or widowed. They're just very different. Uh, for example, for me, it was very important, especially after Susan's death, to find a way to honor both Becky and Susan in some formal way. So I created an endowed scholarship in their name mm. at the university Becky and I went to in the field that Susan and I shared. Yeah. What would be an example of a restoration activity one could do uh, for divorce that would be different than through death? I think through divorce, um, you often have to forgive yourself more. Um, everybody, you know, has some things they remember and think, oh, I wish I hadn't. But, you know, I had such a positive experience with Becky and Susan. I knew I'd added so much to their lives. But, you know, when I get divorced, I mean, you really, just the idea of getting divorced, um, you really have to forgive yourself for mistakes that you've made and be uh, willing to understand what the costs are for either divorce or staying in the relationship. I think that um, people who are dating somebody who's widowed have to understand that it, it is usually, not, as we said, there's always exceptions, usually important that People understand this relationship continues. So I'm just wondering, is there a point where the relationship continues, but how, you know, it's not, you know, is it like the ghost of Mrs. Muir where, you know, it's, well, see, what is it? See, that's the real question you're asking is, is this relationship interfering with this current relationship? Yeah. And that is a different story. I mean, that if it is, then, you know, you really have to kind of have some honest conversation about it. Yeah. Have you ever had the experience of calling or heard about the experience of calling uh, a new partner by a former partner's name? Uh, yes, absolutely. I never called Susan Becky, but I have called Debbie Susan, and I almost do it <laughs> almost every week. <laughs> um, I've gotten good at, no, uh, you know, 
And uh, Debbie says, well, that's a compliment. She sounds like a champ. <laughs> it feels like sometimes if you're going to be in a relationship with a widower or a widow, you really have to have almost no ego. It's not no ego. You really do have to have a, a healthy ego that recognizes that I'm going to embrace all of you and you're going to embrace all of me. And part of you is this relationship. And how can we embrace it in a way that brings us closer and that we share it and it doesn't interfere and get in the way of our relationship? Uh, so it does require that kind of a healthy ego and, and willingness to honor the whole person that you're dating and not ask them to hide what's going on deep down inside. Peter and Debbie have been married for about two years now. Debbie's previous marriage ended in divorce, and she looked at Peter's experiences as he understands the meaning of commitment. But not every long-term commitment is a happy one. The truth of the matter is we were in counseling almost the entire time we were married. We'll hear more about that after the break. Before we go on with the show, I recently learned about a truly fascinating person, someone who reinvented herself in her 60s. Polly Murray was already an accomplished attorney and social justice activist whose work influenced Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Thurgood Marshall and inspired Eleanor Roosevelt, who called her a personal friend. But in her later life, Polly was called to do even more, and so she became an ordained Episcopal priest, the first Black woman to do so. Explore chapters of Polly Murray's life story on Polly, a podcast from North Carolina Public Radio. That's Polly, P-A-U-L-I, available wherever you get your podcasts. Meet Inga. Once upon a time, I was an engineer. I am a geek. I'm an extrovert. She's in her late 70s, and she was separated from her spouse when her spouse died. But that freed Inga to accept who she's been all along. You see, Inga lived most of her life presenting to the world as male. She knew from a very early age that she was actually female. Inga rarely dated, and in the mid-1970s, she explored the idea of transitioning. But Inga decided she couldn't afford it, either the cost or the fallout with her very conservative family. There was no choice except to be a guy. I mean, there were no alternatives. So at the time, she resigned herself to living the rest of her life as male. I think that what I really wanted to do more than anything else in life was be a parent. I really wanted at least one child. So in the 80s, I started going to dating groups. I'm not sure that I married for the right reason. I'm not sure that my wife married me for the right reason. And the marriage was kind of rocky. Did she have any idea about this? Um, I don't mean to be offensive. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, it wasn't an idea you had that you put aside, but did she have any idea that you had a struggle? No, that, I mean, uh, it was not just that being female was my biggest and deepest and darkest secret. 
In those days, both the larger society, the religious community I was in and, and so on, homosexuality, being attracted to men was simply not an option. And you can add to that in those days that with a security clearance, I had to talk to the guys in the gray suits. Have you had any homosexual experience? And I knew that if I said yes, I would be out of there that day. During the Navy years, it would have been a bad conduct discharge. Yeah. So we were talking about how that may have affected your relationship with your wife. And you think it did. I'm absolutely sure it did. Whenever we were working at parenting, it was really good. When we were on the same page, it was very good. When we were not, there were no solutions. My son once said, you know, uh, the marriage wasn't so hot, but you guys were great parents. Like I said, the marriage wasn't that great. And about 10 years ago, she left. So about 10 years ago. So she's in her late 60s. Is that correct? That's right. And did she just say one day, um, yeah. I'm out of here? The truth of the matter is we were in counseling almost the entire time we were married. Oh, okay. Gotcha. We we depleted counselors. Uh. <laughs> we wore them out and they threw us out. But we moved her into senior housing. Uh, she got a little efficiency apartment. She was only there for a number of years. She had diabetes and we kept having to take her to the hospital because her levels were getting dangerously out of whack. And they finally decided that it was dementia. Oh. And we had to move her into assisted living. Yeah. She only died this past year. Oh, goodness. It wasn't the diagnosis, but we're pretty sure that she got COVID. Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm trying to think about how I made the decision to transition. It's been about four years now that I find I really don't want to spend the rest of my life this way. I guess the tra I started transitioning about three years ago. So she was still alive. Yeah. Did you have a conversation? I started my transition well after she was in dementia. Gotcha. So it's... Uh, you didn't have to deal with it. We have to deal with that. A couple of years ago... Uh, I was doing my transition, and uh, I came out at the church. I'm an Episcopalian. They have a ceremony for the taking of a new name, which is really very, very supportive and uh, affirming. And I remember there was a man in the church. He was a widow. I had known him and his wife for a long time. And I remember what he said to me was, I don't understand it, but I accept it. And we started dating and oh. we started having fun together. It was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful year. And uh, I celebrated my birthday sitting with him in the hospital. Oh. And when he came home, it was to home hospice. I'm sorry. And I, and I was with him when he died. There is some stuff from marriage that I really miss. And this might surprise you, but the thing I miss the most is cuddling, snuggling. We always did that, almost to the very end. Even though you did not get along, you all snuggled. Snuggled. In fact, I knew the marriage was really coming to an end when we stopped snuggling. 
Yeah. Well, I've heard that about people who stop having sex. So I love that you were snuggling, though, because I think sex or sexual intimacy, I mean, both are important, very important. So you want somebody to snuggle with. I would love to have somebody to snuggle with. (laughs) Uh, Other than that, I'm deliberately not thinking in terms of I want to do this or I want to do that. I'm just sort of letting life happen as it is. Inga's boyfriend, her first after transitioning, he was 90 years old when he died, which reaffirms to me it's never too late for love, even if it's a love you'd never expect to find. Now I want to give you an update on a man whose story was featured in season one. His name is Mark, and he's been widowed twice, like Peter Lichtenberg, the gerontologist we heard from earlier. When I first talked to Mark on the podcast, he told me that since the death of his second wife, he's had trouble making romantic connections. I have spent huge amounts of money on, you know, dinners and lunches. I've been ghosted so much I feel like Casper. Also on that episode was Eva Marie. She's never been married, and she too was having issues with dating. So dog date guy has now ghosted me completely. After the episode was released, I received an email from a listener who was so moved by both Mark and Eva Marie that she suggested I introduce them to each other. So I did. And then I stepped out of the way. Recently, I checked in with Mark and Eva Marie for an update. God, it's been a year. Almost a year. Yeah, it'll be a year in March, I think. Yeah. 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 And we started chatting. We would chat on the phone, you know, for hours. Sometimes, you know, batteries would die, (laughs) you know, (laughs) as we were talking about, you know, life and stuff and philosophy and politics. The first time we talked, (laughs) do you remember, Mark, the first time we talked, we got to this in-depth conversation about death. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, I cannot remember. I know the first time we met, we had dinner down in Shirlington. I want to say June because it was warm outside. And I think outdoor dining had been okayed in Virginia. I think it was June because, yeah, we met at that, that we sat outside at that restaurant in, in Sherlington. Um, we had oysters. Oh, yes. As I recall. Yeah, we ate a lot of oysters. I was happy to, to meet Mark, you know, to finally put a, a real face with the name and phone calls. Yeah. Yeah. You did not come across as nervous at all. Really? That's interesting yeah. because, yeah, I, I was yeah. pretty nervous. Yeah, we intellectually challenge each other. Yeah. I said to Mark that I, I, I learned something, I think, not just about dating, but about relating to people from getting to know him. Um, I've inherited my father's gift of impatience. And uh, would tend to think, you know, oh, I'm not compatible with this person or something like that right away. Um, But because we've been talking so much, I've kind of learned to take about, you know, the the beauty of taking your time to get to know somebody. I've really come to to appreciate our relationship. There are, you know, um, we're comfortable enough talking about, you know, some personal, you know, things, um, you know, medical i mean it was yeah. just, it, it's it's a comfort it's a very comfortable you know yeah. relationship 
Okay, so I'm hearing that anybody who says men and women can't be just friends, that's false. Oh, I definitely agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's false. Yeah. Absolutely. As a person who is married for altogether 40-something years, you know, the, the circle of friendships that, that we had was was small, you know, part of it because we're so, you know, everything was focused on children. Then as children got older, uh, Nancy, my first wife, you know, the MS got worse. So that sort of narrowed, you know, and then ultimately, it, you know, it was just us two. And then um, when I got remarried, uh, Jeanette and I were, were together for such a short, short time period that we really didn't have, a, you know, an opportunity to expand out. So it's really nice to have Eva Marie where we, we can talk um, and we can share things. And, and um, not ha- not, we've gotten to the point now where I don't think we're worried about offending each other. Yeah, that's, I'd agree. <laughs> you know, um, so it's been, this has been a very, a very good relationship yeah. to have during Corona World. There are things we're taught not to discuss in polite company, but by avoiding so-called impolite conversations, we're missing out on the chance to make important connections with each other. I'm Anita Rao, and I'm on a personal journey to uncover just what happens when we open ourselves up to talking about taboo topics that affect our bodies and our brains. Find out on Embodied, a new podcast about sex, relationships, and your health from North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. After a great loss, it can be hard to imagine that a great love will ever come again. But sometimes it's just around the corner. Lydia is in her late 50s with two kids. About 10 years ago, her husband died after battling cancer. He was only 49. Sadly, he passed and my life was turned upside down. It rocked my world. I mean, it it completely collapsed my, my base. My husband was um, really adamant, and he told the kids this, and he told me this, that after he passed, that I should be getting right back out there and finding somebody else. So the first couple of years after my husband passed, I was just a wreck. I just was not able to do much of anything. But then I started thinking that I wanted to, to get out, and I did not try online dating straight away. I did meetups first, which were a lot of fun. Did not get any dates through there, but met some really nice people and did some really fun things with them. I tried hanging out at the bars, and <laughs> that was not good. Around this time, Adam arrived in Lydia's town. He has three kids, and after going through a great divorce, he got online and met a woman who happened to be Lydia's neighbor. Adam and the neighbor started dating, and things were going so well that they moved in together. And from time to time, I'd see Lydia walking around the neighborhood. I'd run into her when I was out running or walking the dogs. We'd bump into each other, but I didn't know Lydia, uh, didn't know her story our conversations were very, very limited, but she struck me as a really nice person, really nice lady, really, you know, just super cool. When I'd mentioned to Pat, who was the woman I was living with, you know, why don't we invite Lydia and, you know, whoever she's living with, you know, around for a, a uh, cup of coffee or a meal, 
Pat did not like that idea at all. So the relationship with Pat did not work out. I moved out and had short-term relationships and uh, had cause to go online again. And, and then I saw Lydia online for the first time. I thought, oh my God, she's, you know, she's out, she's looking. And she responded within 10 minutes of me reaching out. And I thought, oh, she remembers who I am. That's fantastic. I didn't. He actually, <laughs> he actually did not fulfill some of the, the requirements. At that time, I'd been on so many dates. I was like, okay, I really, I'm 5'10", and I wanted somebody that was at least 6'2", you know, want somebody a little bit taller than me. So, no, I saw his picture. I said, he looks cute, you know, and he, he was very direct. So I said, okay, yeah, for sure. You know, let's, let's get a coffee. And uh, we were supposed to get together Saturday at 10 o'clock for coffee. He gave me his cell number. Like, if anything comes up, give me a call. And then there was no conversation between that Tuesday and that Saturday. Saturday morning came around. And I'm glad he gave me his cell number because I had to text him and say, I'm sorry, there's, you know, there's clearly, there's no way that we're going to be able to get together today. We got like, you know, two and a half feet of snow. There's no way, everything was closed. There's no way we could get out. And so that's when we started having some conversation. That's when we started texting. And then Adam's texting me. He goes, yeah, I remember the last time I saw you, you were in Whole Foods. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And then he says, I remember seeing you walk around the neighborhood with your little white dog. And I'm like, oh my God, what have I gotten into? And so I'm like, so um, my, my big week long bubble just burst. <laughs> and I was horrified. <laughs> I just did not make the connection that he was the guy that lived around the corner. He goes, I used to live around the corner from you. I'm like, what? And so he's describing things. And I look at his picture again. I was like, oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. And so at the end of Saturday, he's like, well, let's postpone this for t tomorrow. Let's, let's get together for coffee tomorrow. And so Sunday rolls around and it's like 1230 and we're supposed to be meeting at one. And I have to text him again. I was like, I, the, the, my street has not been shoveled yet. There is a mountain of snow in front of the, there's no way that I can get out. And he goes, well, I'm coming to get you. He knows where I live. So, so she had no choice. Yeah. So he comes down, and this is like, it's, it's, it's out of, if you were reading this in a romance novel, you would think that somebody went way overboard with, with um, analogies, because he came down in, in his, his black Mustang. He's fishtailing all over the place. He comes in his black Mustang, and I'm trying to crawl over this mountain of snow that's in front of our driveway, and I get stuck, and he has to carry me, he has to lift me out. <laughs> and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> That first date was a few years ago, and Lydia and Adam are still going strong. They bought a house together, not in the neighborhood where they first laid eyes on each other. And they're engaged. You heard Lydia say that the death of her husband devastated her. But she got back out there because he wanted her to. And this is something I've heard other people say, that the dying spouse hopes their surviving partner will find love again. They say it out loud. They give permission. So maybe one difference with romance after losing a partner to death is a temptation to want to recreate exactly what you had before it was torn away from you. Because it was working and it was good. 
and probably because your most vivid memories are of everything that was wonderful about the relationship and about the person. And so maybe finding a new romance doesn't mean totally forgetting about your lost love, but honoring their memory by loving again. And maybe that's in a new and different way than you ever thought possible. Dating While Gray is produced in partnership with North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. You can support this show with a donation at WUNC.org. My thanks to producer Kamaya Truitt and editor Charlie Shelton Ormond. Our theme music is by Daniel Peterschmidt. And Lindsay Foster Thomas is WUNC's director of content. There's much more about the show and every episode we've ever done at datingwhilegray.com. I'm Laura Stasi. Thanks for listening. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.